Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, June 1st, we're studying Acts chapter 13, verse 42 through chapter 14, verse 7. The jealousy of the Jews in Pisidian Antioch leads Paul and Barnabas to preach to the Gentiles there before persecution prompts them to carry the gospel to other places. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks, Pastor Apple. Good to be with you. Good to have you here. Can't believe it's June already. I know, right? It's incredible. Yes. All right, so we're in Acts 13, 14 today. What's the context we need to know going into this text? Oh, goodness. So, uh... <laughs> In terms of the larger context of the uh, Acts of the Apostles, you know, the place that we're at right now is really uh, the baton has been handed off. Uh, and that was the uh, the image last night. I was I was uh, out for a run and I was thinking about this text. And uh, have you ever run in a relay, Pastor Apple? I have not. Okay. Well, maybe a long, long time ago when I was in elementary yeah, school. Yeah. So, so like when the professionals run in a relay, right, um, as they're handing off the baton, right, the next person starts running uh, and then the baton gets handed off and then that person is already gets a running start. And that's kind of what's been going on in the book of Acts to this point is uh, it starts around uh, the, of course, the, uh, the 12 apostles right? Uh, less Judas plus Matthias, right? Uh, and it's sort of focused around Peter uh, and his ministry and his mission there in Jerusalem. Uh, and of course, you remember uh, Jesus's words to the apostles uh, before his ascension, that they will be his witnesses uh, in Jerusalem and in Judea, Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Well, we're in the ends of the earth section right now, uh, but we've had for a couple of chapters uh, leading up to uh, 13 here, uh, we had a couple of chapters where we've introduced Saul. Uh, we've had his uh to Damascus uh, conversion. Uh, and then we go back to Peter for a little bit, right? And so it's kind of like Saul is getting up off the ground. He's getting moving, right? Uh, but here's uh, Peter uh, kind of doing the next thing, all the things that are going on with Peter. And you've got Cornelius and everything else uh, that we heard about a week or so ago uh, on Sharper Iron. Uh, and then we move into this section. And from here on, I mean, once we get Paul out on his missionary journeys, Luke is really just kind of either with Paul or talking about Paul. Um, and he's walking alongside uh, Paul's uh, ministry, uh, and the only other time that Peter even comes up for the rest of the book of Acts uh, is when he's mentioned at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. So it's really uh, the the Paul show at this point, and uh, and Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and John Mark, and and Paul and some of his different companions, Silas as well is in there. Uh, but now we're following Paul, and we're seeing how the gospel, uh, how the word of the Lord increases, um, uh, even to the ends of well, we would say the Roman Empire, but to the ends of the earth, right? Uh, and so that's where we are right now. Yesterday, uh, we had uh, Paul's uh, sermon there at Pisidian Antioch, uh, where he speaks out to them, and, and he just delivers this masterful, beautiful sermon. Uh, if the listeners have their Bibles in front of them, I would encourage you to, uh, you know, if you're listening live, uh, you can kind of skim along as you're listening to our, our voices here. But if you're listening on the podcast, just pause it, go back and reread Paul's sermon, because it's powerful, right? Um, he goes
goes back to the promises of Abraham, the promises given to David, uh, and that all of that is fulfilled in Jesus, the one who was crucified and now is risen from the dead. Um, and it's, it makes an impact, right? Um, but that impact is, is kind of twofold, right? Uh, there are those that hear the word and rejoice, and there are those that um, hear the word and they get jealous, but not a good jealousy. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit, mm-hmm. right? But they are jealous uh, in a way that they actually want to hurt Paul and Barnabas. Uh, so we'll get into that, and it's going to be, uh, it's a fun text. There's uh, there's some wonderful stuff going on in today's uh, reading. So yeah, here we go. All right. Well, let's just jump right into the text. I love it. This is Acts 13, verse 42 and following. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We'll pause there. That takes us through the end of chapter 13 and to the end of their time in Pisidian Antioch at this point. So the sermon ended in yesterday's text, verse 41. Paul Paul ended his sermon with a, a warning. He said, beware in verse 40. He quotes from the prophet Habakkuk, and there's this warning that's there. But the, the reaction is maybe not what you'd expect from a warning. They receive the message quite positively at the outset. Take us into the initial reaction to Paul's preaching. Right, right. So uh, when Paul finishes up preaching uh, here in Pisidian Antioch, the people, uh, they want to hear more. Right, uh, which is a, a great. I, I don't know if this is uh, if you've ever experienced this as a public speaker, right? Uh, but the idea of always leave the audience wanting more. I mean, that sounds good, right? Sure. I, I don't know if that's the way that any of us actually speak, but that seems to be what's going on with uh, with Paul and Barnabas here. Um, is that they have uh, they have piqued the curiosity of the people who are here gathered. Uh, and this is a pattern that you're going to notice, uh, dear listeners, uh, throughout the book of Acts is that Paul in his missionary journeys is generally speaking going to go first to the synagogue, right? Uh, and then he's uh, going to preach in the synagogue. Um, there will be some there who will hear the message who uh, have been uh, sort of, they've had their appetites wet uh, by the Old Testament, by uh, by the Jewish scriptures, by the word of God, uh, which is powerful and active and it accomplishes the purposes for which God sends it. Um, and so they will be receptive, right? There'll be that good soil that the word just, it hits and it takes root and it, it, it sprouts and it grows and bears fruit. Uh, but there will be others that will hear the word uh, and they're going to hate it, right? They're going to repel it. They're going to they're gonna reject it and they're going to want nothing to do with it. So that's really what we see. And then uh, he moves uh, always uh, from the synagogue out into the community. 
right? Um, he either finds someone that says, well, why don't you come into my house and stay with me? Um, or he just, you know, uh, as it says here, he, you know, shakes the dust of his uh, feet off uh, as a testimony against them, uh, as Jesus commanded uh, the disciples to do uh, when he sent them out. But then uh, he goes on to the Gentiles. Uh, so uh, another thing that I wanted to, uh, to mention here is that uh, in terms of the location that we are right now at uh, uh, Antioch and Pisidia, right? Um, if you've got a map in front of you, I, I've got a map with me, uh, but it's the kind that doesn't translate well to radio. <laughs> is there a map that translates well to radio? Uh, yeah, I think the, what's the state that looks like a mitten? Is that Michigan? Yes. Yeah, all of our listeners in Michigan know exactly what I'm talking about. Where do you live in the mitten? That's right. Or are you in the upper? Well, you, you know, if you turn your hand on its side... No, it doesn't. Then Asia Minor, no, it, eh, it maybe doesn't not. Work. Okay. Uh, so basically, uh, you have uh, where Paul left is uh, Syrian Antioch. That's where he started his uh, his missionary journey. That's where he winds back up. Uh, and so when he sets off, he goes, uh, and this is far north uh, of of uh, Judea of Israel. I mean, it's almost up to that kind of crease in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean. So he's going to go um, by boat over to the island of Cyprus. We've already heard about that. He's going to kind of curve back to the north, to the northwest uh, there, um, and he's going to go into Perga, which is in Pamphylia. You perhaps remember that from Acts 2, right? Uh, the big listing of nations, the folks that are there. Um, and then he's going to uh, go even further north up into uh, into Antioch, uh, which is in Pisidia, another city named Antioch. And this is going to be, geographically speaking, about as far as he gets uh, in his first missionary journey. He's going to curl back to the east uh, here in our text when we go to Iconium, uh, and then he'll flee down to Lystra, and then he almost kind of doubles back and he's going to revisit those cities on the way out. So he is about as far away from home in this first missionary journey as he is going to get. Uh, and in this place, um, I think it's, it's beautiful to note that there is a synagogue. Mm -hmm. There are Jews that have been already dispersed out to this place, right? Uh, which, again, in Acts 2, we're not surprised uh, here in Acts 13 because we know that there were proselytes. There were Greeks who had come to the Jewish faith, right? Um, and there were also Jews uh, who were in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. But now Paul has taken that gospel that started in Jerusalem and he has brought it out to them. Uh, so that's where we find ourselves uh, at the beginning of our text, just to kind of give us uh, the setting for all of this. Um, when he speaks... Uh, the people want to hear more. There are some who, uh, who are so into what he's saying, and he urges them, I love the way that, uh, that Luke phrases this, urges them to continue in the grace of God. Right? How beautiful is that? In the grace of God, not in uh, doing uh, the law, not in living by the Torah or anything like that, but urges them to continue in God's gracious love. Okay? Mm -hmm. So apparently there has been some reception among them, but then well, when the Jews uh, see the crowds that are gathering, they say, well, why didn't, why didn't they ever gather before, you know, this Paul guy showed up? Why, uh, why was, you know, the, the synagogue, why was, the, why was our, our church never big until this guy came around? Um, and so you can kind of imagine the jealousy that comes about in their, in their hearts here. Um, you know, he's, he's not, they're not buying into our teaching. They're not buying into uh, what we have been taught. Um, this, this Paul comes along and he's teaching something new and different. Hmm. Yeah. So the, this is, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the previous context in Acts chapter two, because we have yeah. talked about this previously on Paul's first missionary journey that although this is the first time, you know, he's gone this far with the gospel, sure. 
it is quite possible, maybe even likely, that some of the people that are hearing Paul preach on this first missionary journey heard Peter's yeah. sermon in Acts chapter 2 or heard someone who heard the sermon, that the, right. the good news of Jesus has potentially already started here. So to see the cra- or the, the Jews and the converts to Judaism respond positively to what Paul preaches is perhaps not as surprising as we might think at first, because they're, they could have already heard this right. and to hear someone else preaching it. But what changes in verse 44 and 45 is that now you've got all the crowds that are there and that sparks their jealousy. And I I wonder if part of the jealousy is the fact that among these crowds are also Gentiles. And and they're thinking, well, Peter was preaching to Jews in Acts chapter 2. That's who brought the message back. Paul's come. He's been preaching to Jews. Well, wait, what are all these Gentiles doing here? Don't they need to become, and I know this becomes a, a thing later in the Jerusalem Council, especially, but don't they really need to be Jews before they can listen to Paul? And it seems that maybe yeah. some of those dynamics are at play. Yeah, and and I, I, I hadn't thought about this, but when I was when I was going through the text, I mean, it does, there is a, a distinction that is made um, because we have that, um, uh, where was this? We have, um, earlier it talks about the Jews and the Greeks, Right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's later in our text because uh, we've talked about uh, all the way down in chapter 14. I know we're not there yet, uh, but I do just want to kind of pull this back into 13. Uh, so it says there was a great number of both Jews and Greeks who believed. Right? right. And then in the next verse we switch to, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So is that is that distinction when we're talking about Jews and Greeks? Is that talking about the Greek proselytes who had already come to the Jewish faith? Potentially, potentially, yeah. Potentially. I, I just don't understand why else, uh, you know, Saint Luke would give us this distinction between the Jews and the Greeks, and then two more times in verse two, and then also in verse five, uh, the Gentiles and the Jews. Right. So maybe there's something to that. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. It's it's a curiosity at least. Uh, but so you do see that, and you see these people who um, are not of the Jewish uh, uh, extraction or of the Jewish faith. You know, by conversion, uh, you see these people who are starting to gather around, and that's going to be the occasion for uh, something like half of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, all the pages that are going to uh, come after this, uh, there is this this question about the mystery that is being revealed, and what is that mystery? Paul goes back to this over and over again in epistle after epistle. It's that the Gentiles are fellow heirs alongside the Jews, right? It's that uh, what Jesus has come to do is not just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, um, even though, I mean, you look at Jesus's ministry and like the vast majority of what Jesus you know, did in the gospels was for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Right. And there are a handful of Gentiles that that find their way into the kingdom of God or rather are found uh, and brought into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, but Eventually, we come to see that this is this is the uh, the mission of God uh, for Jesus the whole way through, right? Uh, and we've got here uh, this this little quote uh, in verse forty seven. Uh, we'll get to it in just a minute. Yeah, I don't. Want, there's so much good to discuss yeah. in this text, right? Yeah, there really is. So yeah, the the sure. Jews Paul, or Luke writes that it is their jealousy, yeah. that begins to to boil up within them, and they start now. Who they once, hey, we want to hear more from you, Paul. Now they're jealous, and they say, no, no, Paul, you're wrong, and they begin to revile him. Right. Right. So, I mean, that's uh, that's such a such an interesting thing, especially uh, if you look at um, so th- when I was studying for this text, I was looking at Romans 11 uh, because, you know, when when Paul and Barnabas, uh, when they say, you know, 
It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first here so that when you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. You know, my mind goes to those troubling, difficult to read chapters in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Where it's like, so did the word of, was the word of God not sufficient? Is that why the Jews, you know, Paul is, is decrying, you know, the fact that his own kinsmen are not coming to the faith. And he's like, you know, if it was possible for me myself to be cut off, that the Jews might inherit eternal life, like sign me up. Yeah. Nevertheless, that's not the way that it works. But in uh, in Romans 11, we have this uh, this theme, this section. Uh, Romans 11 specific, uh, 15 specifically says, uh, so if the Jews' rejection means the reconciliation of the world, of the Gentiles, of the rest of the people, what will their acceptance mean uh, but life from the dead? So this is, uh, there is still hope uh, for God's historic people. Uh, but if you back up one more verse there, uh, Paul talks about, he says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, so I magnify my ministry in order that somehow I might make my fellow Jews, there's the same word, Mm, jealous, jealous, right? So that I might make them say, what about this good stuff that you have in Jesus? Mm. Like we want to be a part of that, right? And so jealous is a word. I mean, God is described as jealous, right? Um, Jealous can be a good thing. Jealous can be a bad thing. Um, Paul certainly longs, he prays for the Jews to be jealous for the good things that are coming to the Gentiles, that they would be heirs uh, in in the family of God uh, through Jesus Christ and faith uh, toward him. Uh, But unfortunately, that's not the type of jealousy that he's going to encounter. It's the jealousy, uh, the worldly jealousy uh, that says, why are you drawing a crowd? That says, why are the audiences so captive to, to what you have to say? Uh, and it's ultimately going to be something that's going to, to well up into hatred and they're going to cast them out. They're going to want nothing to do with Paul or Barnabas or their message. Mm, yeah. So before they get cast out of town, yeah, though, yeah, yeah. Paul and Barnabas get to speak. And and this, I mean, this is what we've been anticipating, I think. And it's certainly, I think, what Paul brings out in Romans 11, yeah. that the fact now that the Jews are rejecting the word of God is going to open that door so that the word will be proclaimed fully to the Gentiles here in, in Antioch. Right. So, uh, and I mean, this is this is something that you would almost kind of expect, like you said, um, is that Paul is going to preach. And remember, Paul himself is a trained Pharisee. Paul uh, is a Jew of Jews. Paul knows the Old Testament, the scriptures, backwards and forwards. Um, and so when he shows up and when they both speak out loud, uh, boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, that's because they already have the word of God. Right? They have the promises. They have the, the rights. They have um, all of the covenants of God. That's already their heritage. And that is, um, you know, if you look at it as a well-plowed field, they are, they are the ones who should be absolutely receptive to this. And again, that's kind of the, one of the mystery, mysterious things of the gospel is these people have everything except Jesus to unlock the scriptures. And so why don't they get it? Right. And we still ask that same question today, not just about Jews, but about people who were raised in Christian families, about people who should know better, about people who fall away from the faith. You know, these are the ones who should get it. But that's, again, why it's beyond our understanding uh, how the gospel works and and why some are saved uh, and and others not. Mm. You know, and those are questions that are that are super, uh, you know, super um pressing, uh, especially for those of us who have family members who have walked away from the faith or who have children, uh, you know, adult children who have walked away from the faith and things like that. Uh, So, uh, you know, our, uh, as pastors, our hearts absolutely go out to you who have experienced that. Um, But I think that uh, our text today is going to show, uh, especially at the very end, we got to get to the end today, um, but especially at the end, it's got to show that um, 
ours is to continue to deliver the gospel. Mm-hmm. Ours is to continue to preach to these people, right? right. Um, even though, yeah, Paul and Barnabas, they're going to they're gonna wipe the dust off their feet. They're going to keep going, right? Um, with hopes, again, in Romans 11, yeah. uh, that by the word, uh, they will become jealous. They will uh, have this hunger and this thirst for the righteousness that right. comes only by God's word. Right. And as you mentioned, they will double back on this journey yeah, in yeah, a coming yeah. text. They will not abandon Pisidian yeah. Antioch. Yeah, they're coming back. Yeah, they, they will come back to strengthen the saints and presumably to engage these people in conversation, at least the ones who aren't trying to kill them. Yeah. So, but, and I, I do think, you know, you see the the urgency of Paul and Barnabas's words here yeah. And uh, they're pretty direct. You know, you're thrusting this word aside. You're judging yourselves worthy of eternal life. You are doing this to yourselves. And because of it, we're going to go to the Gentiles now. Right. And to back that up, he says, this is what the Lord said in Isaiah. Right. Take us into this Old Testament quote that Paul oh, gives Oh, goodness. Us. Yeah. Isaiah 49, 6. Uh, the whole verse, uh, we only have half of it uh, here in Acts 13, but the whole verse says this. Uh, it says, it is uh, too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back uh, the preserved of Israel. So I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So it was never enough just to bring God's people back from exile, right? Remember Isaiah does that, uh, that thing where he speaks, uh, you know, first uh, he's speaking judgment and everything else. Then we get to Isaiah 40 uh, and you speak of comfort, right? You've got uh, in the middle of the book, you've got the, uh, the actual accounting of the people who are going to be carried away into exile, right? And the fall of Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff, even, you know, before it happens. Uh, but then Isaiah, begins to speak words of comfort, words of peace, words of promise. Uh, And that's where we find ourselves here in 49 uh, is this idea of, you know, even a couple hundred years from now, when you guys are away in Babylon, when you guys are in captivity, I'm going to call you back. But he says here, it's not enough just to call back the faithful remnant, just to call back the the ones who are, you know, the Daniels and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, the, the Esters, the ones who are keeping themselves for the sake of, uh, of God, uh, you know, and keeping the faith. Uh, but instead, um, and this is, you know, I, I mentioned to you before we came on the air that we've been uh, at uh, Faith Lutheran High School uh, in Central Texas. Uh, I got to teach Old Testament to the freshmen and sophomores this year, and school just ended. But we uh, ended up, we were talking about the minor prophets, uh, and there is in in almost all of the minor prophets, there is this beautiful kind of promise of that future Jerusalem, that future day when the temple will be a beacon. It'll, it'll call people from everywhere, from all the corners of the earth. It'll call them back into, uh, you know, the right relationship towards God. And that's what Isaiah is, is prophesying here um, is that, you know, you're, you're going to be set up like, well, how does Jesus put it? A city on a hill, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, you guys, y'all are going to be the light of the world. Um, you who bear this image of Jesus, you who bear the word of Christ out into the world uh, to draw all people in, uh, you are a light for the Gentiles so that God can bring about salvation to everybody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What's One of the things that's striking to me about Paul's quotation of Isaiah 49 here, among all the things that you said as well, is that in Isaiah 49, the prophet there is writing about the servant of the Lord or the yeah. servant of Yahweh. And, and within that section of Isaiah, there's four what are often called servant songs. Right. But for most of us, the one that we are most familiar with is the one that comes in chapter 52 and 53, right. stricken, smitten, and afflicted, the Good Friday text. But before that, the servant of the Lord. 
Lord is identified in a couple other places, Isaiah 49 being one of them. And first and foremost, Isaiah 49 is referring to the work that Jesus does yeah. as the light. And and now here, Paul says this also applies to us, right. the the preachers of that word, the church. And that's a, a maybe it's a, a small thing. I, I think it's important to bring out, though, the way that the Lord identifies with his church. Similarly, how we saw back in Acts chapter 9, where Jesus came to Saul and said, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. Because you're persecuting the church. Right. And here, similarly, when how does Jesus still do his work of bringing Gentiles into the church? It is through the proclamation of the gospel. Exactly. Such that, I mean, that's just a very striking thing that the, the verse that applies to Jesus now is being applied to the church, that we're the work of Jesus is continuing as it's being as the words being proclaimed. We had a baptism uh, at Holy Cross a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, you know, we uh, light a candle uh, for the baptism uh, from the Paschal candle. Um, and then, you know, when we give that, not to the infant, but when we give that to one of the parents, right, uh, usually the one who looks more trustworthy with fire. Sometimes a sponsor. Mom, yeah. yeah. Uh, when we when we hand the, the candle to them, you know, it's it's isn't it beautiful that Jesus talks about light mm-hmm. in two very distinct ways, right? He talks about light quite a bit, but he says, I am the light of the world, right? Um, and then he says, you are the light of the world. Both of those things are true uh, insofar as we are in Christ, right? Uh, the church, the people loved by God, the people who have been called by the gospel and enlightened by his gifts, right? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who bear that light. And we're the ones that Jesus says are like a city on a hill. We're the ones like a lamp on a stand, right? Giving light to the whole room, uh, this little gospel light of mine, right? Anyways, so uh, yeah, that's that's where Paul sees himself. And I thank you for pointing that out, that this is first true of Jesus, but by extension through the gospel, also true of his church, also true of Paul and Barnabas and, and of you guys, you dear listener, right? Mm. And of you, Pastor Apple. And and of you, oh, Pastor thank Beck. Thank you. You're so nice. God be praised yes, that he has set us as a light to the Gentiles. And of mm. course, this is, I mean, the, the wonderful thing about this is that Paul, again, uses the word of God from the Old Testament to tell these people of God you should know this. Right? Yeah. I mean, this has been God's plan all along is to bring the Gentiles in. And, and we've, we've talked about this before. I know we'll talk about it again, that the promise made to Abraham was always that the offspring, that singular offspring right. would be for all the families of the earth, for all the nations. And, yeah. and that's what Paul is proclaiming here to those who are rejecting it. It comes as judgment. Yeah. But as we will see to those who receive it, it comes with great joy because that's where the, the Gentiles are going to hear this news that the words coming to them, they're going to rejoice. But we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. Yes, sir. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Acts chapter 13 with Pastor Dustin Beck. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, June 1st. We're studying Acts chapter 13, verse 42 through chapter 14, verse 7 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. As you mentioned, he also teaches at Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas, and he's a mission planter at Epiphany <sighs> Lutheran Church in Bastrop, Texas. Well, you were first. <laughs> How's that going, Pastor Beck? Oh, it's going great. God be praised. It's going really well. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, some of the nicest folks, uh, you know, and just the fact that uh, uh, that we're able to uh, have an LCMS congregation uh, in a place that, you know, I mean, it's a it's a, it's becoming a city, right? That's right. Austin keeps uh, reaching out towards Bastrop, and I think they're up over ten thousand people now. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, and they got like a super Walmart and all the things that uh, we don't have. An out H-E-B in Plus, I yeah, know. It's, that's it's a grocery fantastic. store for you Midwesterners. Yeah. They yeah. don't know about those. But I mean, speaking of being a light. Yeah. That's what Epiphany Bastrop is trying to that's do. That's the whole point. That's yeah. the epiphany. The light to, is shown. To be a light right. to the people there in Bastrop. So, right. and we have some comforting words for those who are the church to be the light to oh, yeah. the Gentiles. Take us into to verse 48, the rejoicing and the, the faith that is given there as the Gentiles hear the good news. Yeah, so this is one of uh, one of my favorite verses for evangelism. And I should clarify when I say for evangelism, uh, because I think sometimes when we think about, you know, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news. Uh, we think about, yeah, you know, I'm going to go out and these are the verses that I'm going to have kind of preloaded to talk about, you know, and everything like that. This is not one of those verses, right? But this is the verse uh, to comfort the evangelist. This is the verse uh, for, for pastors and for lay people. Uh, w- whenever we have that conversation with somebody and we're like, you know, I don't know how that went, right? Uh, we, we have, of course, uh, when Jesus says, you know, in that hour, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And we're like, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah. But then we have this, um, when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard, you know, Paul and Barnabas saying that we're turned into the Gentiles because, you know, God has made us a light for the Gentiles so that he might bring salvation to the ends of the earth, right? Uh, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. They began glorifying the word of the Lord. And then here's the clincher. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, right? Um, So this idea of being appointed to eternal life, uh, you notice, uh, and you and I were talking just briefly during the break about back in 45, 46, you know, everybody, uh, it was in the, uh, in the actives, since you thrust aside God's word, since you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. But here, this is talking not about the ones who have appointed themselves to eternal life, but it's talking about those who have been and are now appointed to eternal life, right? Anytime that we talk about uh, being appointed, being elected, being predestined, you know, things like that, we get into some, maybe some uncomfortable places because uh, we run the risk of going uh, the the road of our our brothers and sisters in Christ and the Calvinist churches, uh, the reformed who would say uh, what we would call, uh, they talk about, um, we call it double predestination, which is that God chooses some for salvation. He chooses some for damnation, right? Which the scriptures don't really talk that way, right? Um, if you look at Ephesians chapter one, right, this is kind of the, the the quintessential text for election or predestination. And it always talks about we and us. This is language within the church, within the faithful. And it's always this, we were chosen, we were elected, we were predestined according to his purpose, right? Uh, and that's uh, Ephesians one is also uh, the passage where we get this idea of uh, from before the foundations of the world, right? That, that our election, Uh, we who are in the church, um, that we have been called from eternity to be with God in eternity, Uh, which again, this is a comforting message 
for us, for we who are Christians. This is not your evangelism text that you want to lead off with of saying, God may have chosen you, right? That's not the way that this works at no. all. Yeah, so you don't want to, you know, knock on somebody's door and say, hey, you know, uh, the Gentiles heard the word of Paul. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many were appointed to eternal life believed, maybe you will believe. That's that's not where this goes. Uh, but so I think that this uh, specific phrase, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, um, it should serve as a great comfort to, uh, to anyone who has ever shared the gospel, done evangelism, right? Because a lot of times evangelism, telling people about Jesus, it almost kind of falls into a law type thing. Not necessarily that telling Jesus about, you know, telling people about Jesus is the law, but for the person who is telling, it's like, have I, did I do a good enough job of telling them about Jesus? Um, Did I tell enough people about Jesus? Um, Did I, you know, did I say something that might have distracted them from Jesus. And this is the exact opposite of that. Um, This is, uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they bear the word of God. They tell the people who are there, everybody who is gathered, they tell them about Jesus. Um, They tell them why they're there. And then God's word does the work. And those who have been appointed, they believe, right? And so if somebody doesn't believe, is that Paul's fault or Barnabas's fault? No, right? Um, But on the other side of the coin, if somebody believes, is that to Paul's credit or Barnabas's credit because they were such great speakers? No, absolutely not. We know elsewhere that uh, Paul was such a terrible speaker that somebody falls asleep and falls out of the window out of a second floor you know, building, <laughs> dies. He raises him right up again to listen to more preaching, but that's neither here nor there. You know, it's not on uh, the giftedness of the speaker to do the work of conversion. It's on the Holy Spirit. Right. Well, God be praised for that because if it was up to you and me, uh, you know, then, then our listeners would be in a world of That's uh, right. Yeah. A world we of we would have wrecked it a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Luther talks about that in the sacristy That's prayer, right. didn't he? Yeah. yeah, if it was up to me, oh goodness, yeah. we would have shipwrecked this thing. That uh, that Ephesians 1 text I do think is, is helpful because when Paul talks about election in yeah. that chapter, he talks about it happening in Christ. Always. It's always in Christ. And Christ is the one being proclaimed here yeah. so that the election is happening. So that, I mean, and again, when whenever we speak of Christ, God is at work there. The Holy Spirit right. is working through the preaching of that word to do the electing so that we don't need to bring to people's mind a question. Has God saved me? Well, right. did Christ die for you? Yes. Then God has saved you. Well, what now? But will you believe that? I mean, and that's, but it is that preaching that brings that faith and that's the Holy Spirit at work. And, and as you said, it, not to the credit of the preacher, but even in this very text, the Gentiles are rejoicing and glorifying the Lord's word. Yeah. They're not praising Paul. Right. They're glorifying I mean, the, the word of the Lord. There's some folks who are going to do that in a couple of verses, but that's another, that's another, right. That's yeah. another day. That's, that, that's, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and another thing that I'd like to add is that, um, you know, it says here that there rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. Um, not every conversion looks like that. Sure. Right. There are some people that come to the faith as a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. Right. Um, and so it's just beautiful that God brings people to salvation um, and that he doesn't break the bruised reed. He doesn't extinguish the smoldering wick, but instead God is the one who is compassionate. God is the one uh, who, you know, he speaks tenderly to his people that he might mm-hmm. build them up, that he might uh, establish them and he might confirm them in that faith. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we've got going here as well. Yeah. Yeah. And again, to, to go back to something that Dr. Oshwald mentioned when we began this series, that within the book of Acts, if you can 
consider who's the main character. Yeah. He said the word of the Lord is the main character. And I think you see that yeah. very, very well here that, and you know, you, you let off, we've got this sort of handing off of the baton between Peter and Paul and, and yet throughout it all, it's the same word of the Lord that's being preached. And even in the midst of this rejection by those that you wouldn't have thought would have rejected it, still the word of the Lord is at work to create faith. So maybe that's the baton. Maybe, or maybe the so, word of the Lord is, maybe the word of the Lord is passing Peter and Paul as the baton. That maybe. sounds weird. I don't know. I mean, the only reason I bring that up is because um, I, I did run in a, a marathon relay a couple of years back. Um, and you know how they track the time. Uh, the baton has a chip in it. Oh. And so, I mean, the way that you get to the finish line is the baton passes the finish line. So it's the main character in the race. It doesn't matter if there's one person running it or if there's 12 people running it or if you hand off halfway or you, you know, sneak it into somebody's uh, somebody's fanny pack who's running and then somebody else pulls it out at the end. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the way that works at all. That's good. I don't know. That analogy. Fell well, I don't know, but I mean, the, but the word of the Lord is what's running the course here. Yeah, absolutely. And the word of the Lord first comes through the mouth of Peter and yeah. then through the mouth of Paul. And then of course, and you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. Right. And yet the word of the Lord is going to continue on. It is not bound. It is not bound. Yeah. And it continues to be preached today through. I was just trying to draw that connection. I know. That, I know. Uh, in the relay, the baton is the the one that's going to win it because right. it's the one that's actually gotcha. going to log the time. And so, you know, you could run the fastest race, you know, ever you could run it, you know, in half the time of anybody else. But if you don't have the baton, you know, it's not going to count for anything. This is why I'm just going to stick to preaching and not running. This is really complicated. For running me. is complicated. You know, I always do left, right, left, right. <laughs> I heard somebody that does right, right, left one time. And I, th- oh, I said, man. I think that's skipping. Uh, we don't want to skip. We over should any get of this back text. to the text. So verse 49, <laughs> the uh, Gentiles at this point, those who are appointed, they've believed the word of the Lord spreads. Then the persecution begins a little more fully. Yeah. Take us into the, the close of chapter 13. Yeah. And so isn't that, isn't that crazy that where the word of God is, um, there are people who receive it with joy and there are people who reject it uh, with vitriol and with hate. Uh, But as we've talked about now throughout the book of Acts, you know, as persecution has been on the rise, right, that persecution is not, I mean, it's a bad thing. It's evil. Uh, But even as we had in the minor prophets, right, God can use that evil. God can use it. Not that God is the author of it, but God says evil's happening over here. Mm, Let's put that to good use, right? And so you have the church spreading. And so I don't know if Paul was planning on going to Iconium, But when they pick up rocks and they're like, we're going to throw these at you until you die. He says, I've seen that before and I don't want to be a part of it. I mean, he's going to get stoned elsewhere, right? That's right. It's coming next. So he's, he's going to take off and he's going to flee. Right. But when he flees, you know, he shakes the dust from his feet off against them. That's what Jesus told him to do over and over again when he sent them out. Right. That's a testimony against these people that we're not taking anything of what you had to offer with us. Uh, But yet verse 52, ah, the disciples, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I think disciples here is wider than just Paul and Barnabas. I think, so I think this is the folks that are that are following in their throng. Yeah. Right? What a great word, right? That's they're right. Following along in their joyful little throng, their holy band, right? Um, and they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the way this goes uh, throughout uh, the book of Acts? Even, you know, several chapters uh, earlier, back when they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that a great thing? Yeah. I don't usually rejoice when I have to suffer, uh, but I think that's why I need to read Acts a little bit more. That's right. Well, and even, I mean, the joy yeah. theme goes all the way back into Luke's gospel, too. Yeah, you think of yeah, the joy yeah. all 
all the way at the beginning with the Magnificat, the joy of the disciples at the end when Jesus oh, ascends and the joy continues. And yeah, I think, I think in verse 52, the disciples is pretty all inclusive The anyone who goes with Paul and Barnabas and the disciples who are left there in Pisidian Antioch, yeah. that even those who remain with their friends and neighbors who probably aren't, don't like them much. That's anymore. right. Still, they're filled with joy and yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. Any more on chapter 13? No, we got to finish jump? this out. All we right. got another chapter to go. I know. Mm. Chapter 14 now. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. That takes us through the end of our text today through Acts 14, verse 7. So Paul and Barnabas go to Iconium, which I think, as you said, Iconium takes us farther in the journey, but closer to where they started. Right. A little bit farther to the east now in Asia Minor from where they were. Yeah, they kind of they kind of hook back around, um, you know, and they're heading back towards uh, Syrian Antioch, where Paul, uh, you know, has started and will will finish his missionary journey. Um, and, and so they're going to they're going to move in this direction. Um, and then it's going to be time uh, where he's going to actually you turn and pass back through this area. So, you know, we've got the travel uh, narratives have always just fascinated me. And it's honestly, you know, it's something that it's hard for me to kind of keep in my mind's eye because there are three different missionary journeys because Acts is one of the books that we study a little bit less than the Gospels and the epistles that contain all of the doctrinal content. Uh, but Acts is, that's why Acts is so beautiful mm-hmm. um, is because you do have this account. And as you said before, as, as you've said, you know, throughout this study of Acts um, is that it's the word of God um, that is going out, that's spreading the word of God that is enduring, that is uh, that is uh, uh, going out to the ends of the earth. And it's just like, oh, there's a city over here. They, maybe they don't have the gospel. Let's go take it to them. Right. Um, and it's like, well, these guys don't want us here anymore. Uh, so let's go. Let's let's take it to the next place. Um, I love this detail. Right. Um, uh, in verse two, going into verse three. Right. Um, so they have the Jews and the Greeks who have believed, but then the unbelieving Jews uh, stirred up the Gentiles. They poisoned their minds against the brothers. They made them into a stumbling block. Mm. And isn't that what Jesus is? Right. Jesus is a stumbling block to this world uh, because Jesus is uh, is the one who comes along. Uh, and as God has previously said throughout the scriptures, right, he says that you are not sufficient. You are not enough. You cannot make it on your own. You can't. Uh, you're not a fixer upper. Right. The whole thing has to be torn down. All of your idolatry, all of your sin, uh, who you are is the problem. Right. Um, And that needs to be torn down and it needs to be rebuilt uh, after the image of Christ. Uh, And that's the way that uh, that the the gospel uh, is proclaimed is to say that you need Jesus. And, you know, the, the, the harsh reality that this world needs Jesus, aren't there bumper stickers that say y'all need Jesus? Probably. Yeah, that's a Texas thing because we say y'all. That's true. Right. Uh, but um, the harsh reality that this world needs Jesus is something that is uh, not palatable to the world. They can't get past that thing of saying, oh, wait, I need a savior. Wait, I, I have, there's a problem with me and that I can't fix through reading self-help books or listening to good podcasts, right? Or YouTube, TED yes. Talks, 
right? Um, how, how do I get beyond this? Um, you know, I can't be the problem. Maybe I have a problem. But the gospel says, uh, the law, the preaching of the law, the gospel in the broad sense, right? The preaching of the law says that, um, that I am the problem, that I need to die to sin and be raised in Christ. Uh, but here, this is the part that surprises me, right? So their minds are poisoned against the brothers, against the, the guys that are coming, bringing the good news. But in verse three, so what do they do? They stick around. They remain for a long time. I wonder how long that is. I know. I wish the, the timeline was a little clearer in places. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the confusing things about acts you know is reconciling with the rest of scripture and where paul talks about going away for years and this and that um so they remain for a long time even though there's this opposition even though there's this uh this this breakdown and it sounds like they're just tearing the city in two right i mean can you imagine uh this city half the people are team paul and barnabas half the people are team uh let's gather up some stones and kill these guys it's a pretty violent divide it is yeah Um, and this is what we have here but i mean it it just goes to show us that the word of god does divide yeah right there will be those who will receive it there will be those who reject it um and it's like oil and water um the two cannot mix um they repel each other um and the city is divided um we're ultimately going to see that it does come to a head and that the violent uh, will try to overthrow the kingdom of God by violence. Didn't Jesus say something about that? That's like Matthew 11, I think. Yeah. 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 So the violent will try to take it by force, by violence. Right. But who's ultimately going to win? Well, we know that. Right. Jesus wins. Right. Right? He's got all authority, heaven, earth, etc. Right? He's got all of it. And so they're going to continue to to kind of loop around. They go to Lystra and then Derby. Uh, they're going to go to these cities in the surrounding country. But here's the important thing. And as I mentioned uh, a couple of minutes earlier, the important thing for us is that they continued to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. That is where our text leaves off. And that is the important thing is that um, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of people that hate them and you know want to shut them up in any way possible, they're going to keep preaching the gospel because they can't do otherwise because that's what they've been called to because that's uh, what Jesus has promised is he, he sends into heaven and sends the spirit to say, you know, um, go preach, go tell people about, about mm-hmm. what you have seen, be witnesses of these things. And so they can't help but testify everywhere they go. Yeah. One of the, th- I do appreciate that note about remaining a long time Yeah, because it, it does help to give us the correct perception of Paul's missionary yeah, journeys. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it's, it is easy to read the book of Acts, not notice. And again, it's not an exact timeline, but it right. does provide a timeline. And sometimes it's easy just to read through it one verse to the next, as if things are happening one day after another. Right. But they actually stuck around in Iconium for quite some time, it says. And yeah. that I find that comforting because not everyone gets to help plant a church in a new place. Some people stay in one church for their whole lives. You know folks in Warda like that. I know folks in Smithville like that. That does not mean that you are not about this business of being a light, as Jesus says, that the Lord needs people to go and he needs people to stay. Yeah, and I I think that, you know, we think of, or perhaps we think of, you know, because we live in a a culture where we travel. Mm -hmm. And when we travel, it's like, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys are taking a vacation this summer, but, you know, if we're going to do a vacation, the most that we would stay in one place is maybe a week. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's like a couple of days here, a couple of days there. We want to get around. We want to see all the things, you know, but Paul is staying at least a couple of weeks um, in Pisidian Antioch. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that seems like a long time to me. 
to stay and to stick around and to debate back and forth with these people. And I'm sure that in between the Saturdays when he's meeting in the, you know, the Sabbath in the, the synagogue, I'm sure he's not just sitting there doing nothing. I'm sure he's still uh, right. preaching. He's still um, proselytizing. He's still telling people about Jesus, but then he goes over and he's going to stay for a long time. Hmm. Yeah. That, that long time detail is something that kind of jumps off the page at you. Um, is that it's not like, you know, things are getting hot for Paul. So, you know, I think we'll just go on to the next town, but he's going to stay there through the thick of it. He's going to stay there. And, and it's kind of the juxtaposition between Pisidia and Antioch, uh, when they're going to shake the dust off and head out mm-hmm. to when he gets to this new, this new town and he's going to stay in Iconium for a while. He's going to stay there as long as he can because he doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay and he wants to do the work of an evangelist. He wants to plant the church. He wants there to be a church there, uh, you know, and he wants to be able to, uh, to be there um, as it's uh, not just as its founding pastor, but as their father in the Lord, which is the beauty of, uh, of him retracing his steps in each of his missionary journeys. The beauty of him writing the epistles, right? Is him checking in on these churches that he has either established or that he has uh, helped to be a part of their growth. I mean, that's just the mission of Paul is to check back in on these places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a really a beautiful uh, thing for us to be able to pay attention to today is that whether things are going well, whether things are going poorly, um, he's going to continue to, to visit them. He's going to continue to deliver the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, another thing that, that does stand out at, at his time in Iconium, because this is a little bit more of a broad overview yeah, of his time there sure. than the, we got a little more narrow focus in Pisidian Antioch, right. but the, the division that does happen there is an equal opportunity division. I it, think so. it, you know, I mean, it does say in verse two that the unbelieving Jews stirred up Gentiles, but by verse five, it sounds like you've got both Jews and Gentiles who like Paul and you've got both Jews and Gentiles who yeah. don't like Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's not, you know, we always kind of think of Paul as the, and he calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. Right. But as we said at the opening of the program, right, uh, his habit was to go into a city that has a synagogue, and that's where he sets up base, and he's going to preach Jesus to those people who already have the Old Testament, the Word of God, um, you know, and there will be some who will believe, and those, you know, when he is asked to leave the synagogue, he will go out and he will preach to everybody else as well. Um, but you do see, like you said, it's an equal opportunity, love and hate relationship with Paul. Isn't that a way, a way of putting it? Uh, where you have not just that Paul shows up and he's like, forget about you Jews. I'm just going to go preach to the Gentiles. But instead, uh, it's the same gospel for Jew and for Gentile alike. And again, that is that is the major thrust of the rest of the New Testament uh, from the time that Paul comes on the scene, right? And Peter gets this too, right? Uh, but it's uh, Peter, you know, God love him. Uh, he he keeps he has these ways of going back and and forgetting all of the new good stuff. Uh, you know, he's like you know, like like us as pastors. That's right. Sometimes we have to relearn things. Uh, but so uh, yeah, you have this as the the thrust of the early church of the rest of Paul's epistles in some way, shape or form, right. Uh, is the idea that, you know, it's the same gospel for Jew and Gentile alike that God has broken down that barrier, that hostility wall. Uh, so that now, um, Jesus loves the whole world. Um, and he has revealed that God has always loved the whole world in a particular way through the promises given to Abraham. And now in a particular way through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, which is for, God so loved 
the world. That's right. That he gave his son. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it's a it's a global. It's a it's a universal promise, um, and so that's what Paul preaches, and that's what is received by some and not by others. That's right. That's yeah. right. And and just that note in verse where verse five. Yeah. That it's also the rulers who are yeah. involved in this uh-huh. too. That that the what Paul and Barnabas are doing there makes its way to the very top. And and of course the rulers are mentioned here as those who are along in the attempt to mistreat and stone these two. Yeah. Yeah. But we do find out elsewhere in the book of Acts. We We've, we've seen someone in Herod's household, I think in chapter 12, who was yeah, a believer. Yeah, yeah. And we know later on that Paul will g- have an opportunity to bear witness to rulers as well. So yeah. that, the, I mean, not only do you see Jew and Gentile, but you see high and low here that yeah. the gospel is having an effect again, on, on all classes of people. Right. And I think that, again, uh, you know, that tracks back even to uh, to the Old Testament where you have uh, at times, uh, you know, so uh, when Jonah preaches to Nineveh, of course, uh, from the king all the way down to the cattle, yeah, yeah, right. they're they're participating in the the act Are there of repentance. Any cattle in the book of Acts? I'm not sure. Maybe okay. not repenting. Probably. <laughs> I think that's unique to Jonah. Uh, but then you fast forward a couple of books, and you're in Nahum a hundred years later. And when Nahum preaches against Nineveh, uh, it, the problem is that you guys will not repent. Yeah. And so you know, time and circumstance and everything like that. Uh, people, you know, it's a fertile ground for preaching right here and right now. Uh, but, you know, Luther talks about the the, uh, the gospel being like a passing rain shower, right. you know, and the fact that it's here today and the spirit is alive and acting and moving, right? But he may just move beyond this people due to their unthankfulness, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this, this is a huge theme throughout the scriptures, right? That, uh, that there will be some who, you know, um, surprisingly enough, they repent, yeah. Yeah. God be praised. God be praised. And there will be some who, you know, again, in the most surprising way, these are the people who mm-hmm. have the scriptures. These are the people who have been taught week in and week out about God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and that it's fulfilled in Jesus. They just can't seem yeah. to get that. Mm-hmm. It's Lord surprising. Yeah. Lord have mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christ have mercy. Amen. Pastor Beck, we have about two minutes here on the morning. As we wrap up this section of Paul's first missionary journey, help us to see the good news that is ours from this text in Acts 13 and 14. Right. So the good news is kind of like a sandwich. There's good stuff on the outside and the best stuff in the middle, right? Um, I just came up with that right on the fly. Yeah, thank you. I should be a poet or something. Uh, So you've got um, the preaching all around this text, right? Uh, You've got the people who are receptive, the people who are rejective. I don't think that's a word. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, but that's what you have sandwiching around this uh, this text is that you have that constant is that Paul and Barnabas, their companions, all the people that are traveling along with them, they're going to preach the word. They're going to they're going to be people of the gospel that that remind people of yesterday's text, right? That sermon that says that Jesus is the answer to uh, the promises given. He's the fulfillment to the Abraham promises, to the David promises. He's the one who was crucified, dead, and buried, raised again on the third day. He is the one who has come to bring good news into this world and then we have the good stuff in the middle that the gentiles are hearing this that there are people proselytes jews everyone they're hearing this and they rejoice they glorify and then as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and it's the same way today it's a passive thing it's something that happens to us the gospel happens to us and the spirit moves us he calls gathers enlightens sanctifies and keeps the church together uh, by the word and by the good gifts the gracious gifts that god gives through his church so i think that's the best part of our text today Uh, is the fact that the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does, gives us the word of Jesus. Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us today with Acts 13, 42 through 14, verse 7. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. 
I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Acts, particularly chapters 13 and 14, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. You can use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us as well. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.